0: Hi, this is Rick Moranis, and you are experiencing a communication breakdown with Chris T. Aerial View with Chris T. Live! End Times Talk, Talk Radio. Friday! 6 p.m. Eastern East time. time.
1: Call
0: 760-422-5528. You have a podcast?
1: Oh, yeah, I invented them. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris.
0: There's button. You're listening to Aerial View, worldwide on the internet. Close on, you know better Hey, you know now, this hot little yeah, radio, you know, I'm in this church. The of your group, man, he's got, he's got lots of juice. He's got more. Great. What kind of radio? Hey, man, you really put the hook in there. I have broadcast many, many times on both the program and the about... bus. Late at night, man, you get to Jersey, Madam Pierre Lujar. Chris, let's talk. I'm sick of talking. Shut up, shut up. It's not a clear tone. I know how to talk to people. Shut up, man. Shut up. I'm warning you guys. Be quiet. Yeah. I've got this man
1: go on the air deliver a coded message. You're out right, of your mind. I'm not out
0: of my mind. Oh, come on. Now we're going to listen to what he said on the air. Because all we're dealing with here, after all, is talk show time against a man's life. I don't see that as being of I can see you're really upset about this.
1: That's okay. You speak English, son? You just told me so. Power's getting laces. Babe, stand up and wiggle your head
0: first. I know like that, girl. But we're young. Babe, he's a mile. I don't
1: know. Conversation is a two-way street.
0: I don't get you. I don't think you do either. But you're stupid. I heard it over the radio. I'm not just talking about one person, I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about God. Hell. Do you understand? And you will not take me off the air for now or for any other spaces. Wherever I place. I'm a famous radio personality now. Most
1: people today
0: look. Okay.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. He's always talking about some radio star that I never heard of. You don't
0: like my stories. You don't have to listen to my program. Listen to the radio. Find out what's
1: going on. Listen to the talk shows, and you will find out what's going on. Oh,
0: man, radio. Yes, talk
1: radio.
0: It's so boring, man. Okay, the, the, the car just went suicide. Shut up, man. I have an idea now. First name Mr. I just hope this man
1: realizes that being able to communicate.
0: Is a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, big. Blast him! Give him some of that tone!
1: Oh man! It's showtime! You radio you You radio
0: yoke and you smile won't a kiss for this one. Ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. A very auspicious beginning. Sure, it's a talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. How are you
1: today? Hi, my son, how are you? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Nice to see you. Have a nice day.
0: Because you're bastard people. Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show, because um, if it is, I think your show's really great. Um,
1: but if it isn't, um, I'm sorry to have bothered you. He's a fabulous disaster. He's a simple metaphor. Your the dementia of a nihilistic generation. He's a
0: star.
1: Of Punks and the misfits get all the headlines. You want
0: to know what I think? I think you're some kind of deviated prelude, that you were organizing some kind of mutiny of preludes. Well, then listen to me, you white mouthed punk. We've heard just
1: about all we want from you. Come are a bunch of pussies wearing there! Threat me again! Oh, it's so nice to be back with you here on TheHoundNYC.com. It's me, Chris T., with another aerial view. It's been uh, three years, I think, since I revived the show on Black Friday, November 23rd of 2018. It was laying moribund. What is that? Something you wear with your tuxedo? I got my moribund. No. No. That's a cummerbund. This is more a bund. In my case, more or less a bund, I guess. And I said, fuck it. I said to myself, fuck it. Why not revive this show? oh Pardon me, we started watching the, uh... <clears throat> cretinous... Jersey Shore reunion show last night, because we needed something incredibly stupid. So we could turn our brains off. And when you think of incredibly stupid, you think Jersey Shore, don't you? And those folks are just as uh, dumb as they ever were. So thank God some things remain the same. This is thehoundmyc.com, where you can hear new hound howls every Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's now Daylight Savings Time. And then at 5 p.m., of course, crashing the party. Mark and Miriam, the doo-wop chop shop of the year. You got those doo-wops on vinyl. Big, big news. Big, big news. (coughs) Out of aerial view land, I now have a Patreon page. Where you can go and show some support for this goddamn show. And I want to thank my very first supporter friend of the program, Ken Katkin. Thank you for stepping up and joining in the fun that is me asking you for money. I, uh... I thought, what the hell? What the hell? Everybody else is doing it. What the hell? Maybe I'll just go ahead and ask because I gotta defray the cost of this. I said I gotta defray the cost of this thing. Somehow. You know, I'm paying or a podcasting platform and a whole bunch of other stuff that goes along with doing this show. And it might all be a complete disaster, but I thought I'd give it a try anyway. You can find me at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Aerial View. Patreon.com slash Aerial View. You sign up for a few bucks every month and you get exclusives. Like right now, exclusively available is the uh, audio I recorded in 1997, specifically on December 29th, 1997, of uh, the late lamented Alex Chilton leading the Coaster's Tribute at the late lamented Mermaid Lounge in New Orleans. Uh, Mermaid Lounge was at uh, 1100 Torrent Street. Is that where it was? And uh, it was a great little joint. I got to say, I really like that place. But uh, I was down there visiting Dave and Donna because I had gone down there often to visit them in New Orleans. They had moved a number of times. They lived in a whole bunch of different places in the French Quarter, and then they lived in the Magazine District. And I think they lived in the Uptown District, and they might have lived in the Garden District. I don't know. They were, they were They moved all over. Constantly in renting, you know, moving, renting. But uh, I was down there one time for Christmas, New Year's, and found out that there was this coaster tribute going on at the Mermaid Lounge. And I said, what the hell? Let me go there. I said, what the hell? Let me go there. It was Constant Street. What did I say? Torrent Street? Torrent Street would have been in California, right? Eleven hundred Constant Street, in New Orleans, if you want to pronounce it like that. I always found that to be pretentious. If you're not from there, I mean, if you're from there, go ahead, say New Orleans. But if you're not, fuck off with that. Okay. So I go down there, and at the time, I like today. I I always had recording gear on me. Back then, it wasn't my phone. I couldn't just hit a button on the iPhone and record wherever i wanted so i had uh, either a sony stereo cassette recorder or it might have been a mini disc machine i'm not sure if mini discs were around quite yet in 1997 but i usually upgraded when the recording gear got better and i distinctly recall i had this old army jacket and I managed to wire a couple of uh, microphones into the collar so I could record in stereo and I thought let me go out and uh, mainly I wanted to uh, record my ride in the cab because New Orleans cab drivers are really great they're just so garrulous they like to talk and I always had good conversations with them and I wanted to have a conversation about what was going on in December of uh, 1997 when uh, the Sugar Bowl was about to descend on New Orleans. And so on this recording, you'll hear, and maybe for the only place you'll ever, maybe the only time you'll ever hear it, maybe the only, I have the only capture of Alex Chilton ordering a Diet Coke. I mean, nowhere else are you going to find that. I challenge you to find that anywhere else. And if you join as a patron for as little as $5 a month, you get exclusive access to uh, 42 minutes of Alex Chilton leading a Coasters tribute at the Merman Lounge in 1997. So go to patreon.com slash aerial view I also managed to uh, have a quick chat with him out front of the mermaid lounge and I tried to interview him at the time and he was having none of it did not want to be interviewed uh, on tape anyway but we were both smoking back then and I joined him for a smoke and uh, it was cool it was a cool night out it was one of those great nights out that you miss now especially because of this motherfucking pandemic and how it's turned everything upside down and most recently and most distressingly last year we were looking to perhaps uh, actually not last year 2019 I, i'm losing track of years but 2019 we started looking upstate for our, our next place to live at the time I was having an internal debate, do I go into my 401k, do I blank it out because I can't stand the goddamn stock market, it's only a fluke that I have a 401k, because I had this job, and they offered one, and they did like double matching, and I just said, okay, just take it out of my paycheck, what the hell, and uh, before I knew it, I had a decent chunk of change in there, but then... The ups and downs of the market just were making me nuts. And I thought, let me take this money out and buy something. Buy something. Buy some real estate. Something tangible. And we looked at a house up in the Birdcliff Colony in Woodstock. And it was a nice house. I liked the house. It was built in 1977. It was an old barn that they had converted into a house. It had like, it was kind of like what they call like one of those treehouse houses. And you felt like you were up in a tree when you were in this place. It was charming in an idiosyncratic way. It was an old house. It had issues. Things would have had to been updated on it. But I liked it. And I, I, I remember calling everybody I knew who's smart about these things. And I said, hey, should I blank out my 401k and buy this place? I mean, I really feel like I should. And I really feel like it would be a good thing to do. And I was told... Hey! No. And I mean by everybody. Financial advisors I was put in touch with told me. My accountant told me. So we let it slip through our hands. We even went and looked at the goddamn place. We even went up there and looked at it. And, uh... Shrugged our shoulders and said, Nah, now's not the time. I'm gonna stick with what I have. And you all know what happened next, right? The stock market took a shit. Uh, my 401k lost a bunch of money. It's still not back to where it was in 2019 when I was thinking of blanking it out. And I would have had just enough, just enough to buy this place. So I go on Zillow just now before the show, just for shits and giggles. And I enter the address of this place and it's Valued, You know that Zillow does this ridiculous Zestimate thing. It's valued at almost twice of what we could have bought it for. Now, this place didn't sell until February of 2020. February of 2020, it sold below what the person who was selling it for asked was asking at the time, right? And it's making me sick. It's making me sick to my stomach to think that uh, we could have bought that place. We could have had some real estate. We probably could have rented it out before we moved into it. We probably could have generated some income that way. And we, and I would have actually made money on the place. <laughs> I would have made money on the place. Even if we decided to sell it right now, I would have uh, banked around $200,000. So that uh, that's your cautionary tale. None of this has anything to do with what we're going to be talking about tonight with my guest Tony Rittman, who I am going to dial right now and get on the blower and um, get him to join us. Tony Rittman is an author. He wrote the book NYHC, and he uh, wrote the book Straight Edge, and he wrote a book about Detroit Hardcore as well. And I think I hear Tony on the phone. Tony, is that you? Oh, I am here. Let me
0: just uh, get hooked up to my uh, iron lung. We'll be good. Hold on.
1: Get that iron lung going on.
0: Uh, well, you know, I was just finishing my last cigarette in it. No, I, I was just getting uh, the microphone and all the hey, hey together to make sure it all sounded no
1: big good. No one told you you're not supposed to smoke
0: in those things. Look
1: It's not on my dad told uh, Hold on.
0: There's something How wrong
1: Iron Lung, what a quaint idea. Did they come back with the age of COVID? I wonder.
0: Probably, they're
1: what, probably they're back. Iron Lung. Yeah, they're probably back and better uh, than ever.
0: Yeah, but they're like they have a vintage look. You can buy them in the back. <laughs> it's of like it's very British, <laughs> uh, it's
1: steampunk. It's steampunk. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. Steampunk. So the no. third book I didn't mention is called Why Be Something That You're Not? Detroit yeah. Hardcore, 1979, 1985. Is that the latest book?
0: No, that was no. my uh, <laughs> that was my first venture. Oh, uh, Jesus.
1: I got it all wrong. I already fucked up with the guest. This is embarrassing.
0: Nobody's listening. All right. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: By the way, I, I had to come out of an upbeat song and do a dead dog dying dedication, and no one got me the <laughs> photos yeah. I was supposed to see that I asked for Ooh. last week. Is Don on the phone? No, Tony's on the phone. Tony Retman uh, is with us. And uh, Tony, I met uh, many, many moons ago. When do we first cross paths? I'm going to put the onus on you.
0: I think you know when I did have a brief uh brief time at FMU I would I would see you from across a crowded room and <laughs> no, I would our eyes you know,
1: would meet next thing yeah, you know yeah and
0: I'd be like were you in the nihilistics and you'd be like can you run <laughs> but uh, no I'm kidding I, I knew who you were and I you know we were we were in the same rooms and all that but
1: did we We chat? never
0: spoke we, I'm we sorry? never
1: we never spoke why not was I being stand standoffish no that
0: was the name i, was using I mean no, no 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 i just no. listen uh, for writing all the books that i do and all the what have you like i give people their space you know what i mean like i knew your i knew your history <laughs> i was just like that dude wants to talk about it he'll talk about it eventually and you did when um i reached out to you and asked if you wanted to be interviewed for the new york article book and that's how we met
1: yeah, we uh we got together and we sat down in uh for an afternoon and you uh interviewed me. Correct. For the book for the chapter on uh the nihilistics. They got their yes. own chapter in that damn thing. You sure
0: did. Was there anybody And, and well damn deserved, by the way. <laughs> anyway.
1: By the way, what was the decision to do that? Why give us a chapter when I, I mean I, I I feel like we are, dare I say it, the hair lip stepchild of the MYHC scene. Although maybe that's even worse. You know, I was talking to Jack Rabbit last week. Maybe it's yeah. them, but uh both of us, by the way, both bands on the New York Thrash cassette, which I think is a pretty good primer, as the English call it, to suss out what was going on back in eighty one and eighty two. So why give us why give the nihilistics a chapter?
0: I what why I, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that, Chris. Um, well,
1: think of something. Uh, we, we so got about 40 just, minutes. To can we kill. just sit here? <laughs> yeah,
0: let's yeah. just sit here. Now, sit. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess I can only uh, come from the personal angle of it. You know, the nihilistics, uh, when I was little, believe it or not, my brother had nihilistics records and it intrigued me. So, but then um, that, you know, as a kid, that was the first, Thing I knew as far as what would be hardcore from New York. And then I found out about, you know, all the Gnostic Front, Chromags, etc. Mm. But to me, I mean, I wouldn't say I, I was the sharpest tack in the drawer as a child, but to me, like I would hear that Nihilistics record and just the vibe of it and be like, yeah. Like when I heard like bands are probably you've never you never probably cared here. I mm. uh, like bands like Raw Deal and Sick of It All. I was just like, oh, this is the nihilistics just because it's that, like, I'm a fucking pissed off working class stiff, like, and I I can't get ahead, like, and, and life blows. <laughs> and uh, I think that you guys, I th- uh, you know, I don't know how you want to take it, but, you know, I think you guys uh, lay the bedrock for that kind of vibe.
1: We laid the bedrock for, I don't know, some damn thing. I mean, I remember thinking back then that um, we had one of the better bands out there in terms of our commitment to an ideal. Now, the ideal might have been death and and mayhem, (laughs) but we were at least committed to that ideal. Yeah. So that's how we ended up in the book. NYHC, and I I didn't give the full title. Full title is uh, New York Hardcore 1980 to 1990. Mm -hmm. Did you, not to uh, focus too much on the nihilistics, did you hear from anybody else who was like, hey, why do they get a chapter?
0: Please say yes. (laughs) Well, you're not going to get the answer you want. If anything, you know, I I think most of the people... uh, Hey, I'm not even gonna to bother to text you this. I shut off my washer, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, Thank anyway. You. Uh nihilistics. No. Yeah. Uh, if anything, people were like, Whoa, you put a nihil like it was almost like, I guess this guy might know what he's doing, which <laughs> full juice suckers. But um yeah, I think most people are like, Oh, well, that's cool. I remember Paul Bear thought it was cool and you know, other band like other people flipped through and were like, Yeah. Because again, you have... If there was a bedrock there. It might not have been what everybody wants it to be, or whatever. But you know, even worse, nihilistics, misguided. Better for worse, whatever people might think of those bands. That's that's the that's the starting point. You know.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. Because uh, there is, I was I was talking to Jack Rabbit about this last week. There's a lot of uh, stuff happening right now. A lot of people who have decided to try to make a living out of podcasts about. Mm-hmm. Punk rock and hardcore and the hardcore scene that erupted in the early 1980s. And some of those people are better at it than others. Some of them, you could say, have a legitimate claim to doing that. I've reached out to a number of these people to say, hey, I'm available if you want to talk to a founding member of the Nihilistics. Never hear back from any of them. And I have a lot of stories to tell. I have a lot of stuff to illuminate. I'm articulate. Sometimes I even smell good. <laughs> and and yeah. so far, nobody. I feel like I'm lost in the early history of the band. And because the band is still going and still around, they don't think of me. And and by the way, Mike, uh, Nicolosi's dead. Bass player's mm. dead. Yeah. Troy's still with the band. Ron is still there. Yeah. Um, but my, I feel like my place in that whole thing is, is lost. Is that, is that a fair feeling you think, or am I just Am I your too fucking much? therapist? What do you want? No. Um, uh, absolutely. Yes. For uh, right now you are. You feel free to bill me. Okay. For this.
0: Let, hold on. Let me put the end of my glasses in my mouth and, and cra- and like, you know, suck on one of the
1: temples. Go yeah, ahead.
0: Look at you kind of like, huh.
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: so are you, yeah. Are you lost in the history Probably, but it's also probably because you had, you were like, you moved on to do other things. You know, you, you don't have to come back and be like, I'm bringing the band back together. Or, you got your own shit to do. you only got well, your own life. You, see, you moved on.
1: <laughs> as a very experienced interviewer, I asked you that question to set up my next question, which yes! is, <laughs>
0: which okay, is, are there
1: people who are staying too long at the well, perhaps? I mean, should they have... Maybe folded no. up their tents by now. That's or? up
0: to the. I don't. That's no. Please uh, that's say yes. To, no. Uh, well, let me let me give a, a nuanced answer. How's that sound? What is that think, doing
1: on this show? Nuance. Um. They
0: were like a. They were a '70s rock band. They were uh, a little fusiony. Yeah. But anyway. Um. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad I managed to make myself laugh sometimes. But anyways. I like that. Uh, that was a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um. I forgot what I was talking about. Here's the way um, I would have done no, that Joe. Well, here's, Here, what here's the way here's I w- what I'm saying I think the people that the people that stuck with it man good for them like do I want to hear their the you know the the records that they make now hmm, probably not but I give them a fair shake I listen to them and evaluate it in my head like I don't know like there's certain bands that I will give respect to because they never they never went anywhere you know they might have uh Tried on every hat in the room. If you get what I'm saying, but but it was genuine to me. What I think you might, what, where you and I or what you uh, what you're trying to the, the corner you're trying to push me into here, is the people that yeah like say they had a band in the same time frame that the nihilists were around or maybe a little later, right? And then they go, yeah, I'm kind of bored with this kind of paddle thrashy thing. Like let's go metal or let's just sound like Guns N' Roses, or let's just keep the name of this band, but do something completely out of fucking left field. And then, and have the attitude the whole time, like, you kids are still playing that dumb hardcore? This is what we're doing, and we're smart. And then, uh, nobody liked what you we were doing, because that's not what anybody wanted, and we are dumb, myopic, hardcore kids. Our brains were peas. Like, we didn't want to hear your new, crazy jazz odyssey, like your version of the jazz odyssey, you know what I mean? So, you went away, you crumbled apart and whatever we all grew up. And now all of a sudden you show up like acting like you didn't put out this, the, you know, whatever the the mature core record, not even mature core, like, but whatever your, your shitty rock and roll record with the name of the punk band. And you're going to be like down for life. We were always here. Like, that's when I'm like, do you think no one's paying attention? Like, did we all just walk in off the street with and blindfolds were pulled off our fucking heads? Like, um, I'll throw that into your court.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear you say that because as something I haven't revealed before, really. Uh, this is an exclusive here on Aerial View, but one of the things that led to the dissolution or, or me leaving the nihilistics, not that uh, too many people care, Tony probably cares, um, Barely. <laughs> is that there was this decision to go in more of a quote-unquote metal direction and right. bring on a second guitarist. Mm. And the second guitarist was somebody who played a BC Rich Warlock. Nice. And that is one of those pointy guitars. Yeah, I, that know, I know exactly
0: the guitar you're talking about. I'm, yep.
1: Tony, I'm explaining for the audience who may not know.
0: I have a problem with audience. that, actually. And someone, actually, it's funny, somebody actually told me that today. Like, <laughs> you got to stop doing that. So yeah. I now that I've done it in front of you and. Eight people listening. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I'm Carry a, on, sir.
1: A man explaining what a BC Rich Warlock is. It's a pointy <laughs> guitar that if you fell, it might impale you. So be careful, kids, when you're playing your BC Rich Warlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember a couple of times we rehearsed with this second guitarist who was supposed to bust out these incredible leads. And he was okay. He wasn't like the greatest lead player I had ever seen. And I remember thinking to myself, this is never gonna
0: work. I fucking hate this. <laughs> this does not have this won't play in the sticks.
1: <laughs> so now I gotta I gotta play second banana in the band that I started. Right. Yeah. Right. Isn't yeah, yeah. that great? Because the origin story of the band, and I've <clears throat> if you're listening to the show any length of time, you've heard me mention this. I was in a cover band called Cobra. I started playing guitar when I was thirteen when the band Cobra, Cobra broke up. Uh, my friend Mike, who uh, wanted to uh, be in a band, convinced me to help him learn how to play the bass, and we would go down in the basement of my mother's house and, and come up with songs like Grandmas Are Made for Kicking. That was one of, <laughs> That was one of our big ones. And before long, we had kind of a band. We couldn't find a drummer. We couldn't find a singer. We kept trying different drummers and different singers. Nobody worked out. Eventually it did. We found Ron and Troy. And eventually I came up with the name of the band. I dubbed the band the Nihilistics. So I have a lot of ownership, see.
0: and um, Yeah, I think the big question is, did grandma's made for kicking get moved into their Nihilistics repertoire?
1: Oh, if only! I wish it had. I really oh, do. I was, I,
0: I was hoping you're like, yeah, it's on our first practice tape, and I'm planning to play it to you right well, now. Well, we used to,
1: <laughs> we used to take a Panasonic, what they call a Panasonic shoebox yep. recorder, yeah, I remember. yeah, and we would hang, I would hang it from the ceiling. It was a low ceiling in the basement, so Mike and I could stand around it and sing and play into the tiny little condenser microphone. And somewhere, those cassettes have been lost to time. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I Mike got them and now they're with his family. I, I know I don't have them. I have early tapes. I have early tapes. And maybe one of the things I, I'll I'll do when I start digitizing everything, Tony, is I'll try to find that song just for you. I'll make it available cool. as a Patreon exclusive. <laughs>
0: the Tony Retman special. I want to um, mention,
1: by the way, Tony's got a whole Substack thing going on at, at mm. retman.substack.com. dot com. Yes. R E T T M A N dot Substack dot com. I really love his writing um i really like the last thing that you wrote just shut up and enjoy for once yeah yeah uh i like everything you write i really do i I appreciate your writing and uh i went and became a subscriber today you did i appreciate that everybody should and um please go again to retman.substack.com but uh why in particular did you decide to hone in on not only myhc but detroit hardcore and straight edge was it because nobody else was telling these stories or because you wanted to tell them yourself?
0: Uh, well, initially, first and foremost, you know, I <laughs> I, wear a, uh, I wear a train conductor's hat, but don't have any trains, if you get what I'm saying. So uh, I, it's all about, like, I want to know all the information on all this stuff that I've know, wanted to know for years. And if that gets me, like, if I have to give everybody else that information to get mine, then I'll do a book. Do you get what I mean? Like, as long as it legitimizes me going into people's houses and going to their basements and going through all their old shit. You know what I mean? So, right. um, so you wanted to
1: excavate this history, and you thought a perfect excuse is I'll write a book because otherwise I'm just sitting in people's living rooms interviewing them.
0: Yeah, kind of. kind of like me
1: with this podcast.
0: Right. Yeah, me talking to. Uh, I'm talking to, Am I talking to a little pencil right now? No. I just committed.
1: Um, I just committed a mortal sin. By the way, I call this thing a podcast. It's not. It's a live radio show. It goes out, out live every Friday 6 p.m. Eastern on thehoundnyc.com, and then it becomes a podcast at Amazon mm-hmm. Music and Apple Podcasts wherever you get podcasts. So it's. I always think of it as a live show first, but that's how right. much reading I've been doing lately about podcasts, and and that's <laughs> where this explosion of discussion about. This uh, particular era is now <clears throat> taking place. How many times have you been asked to be on somebody's podcast at this point?
0: Well, actually, I've uh, not in a long time, actually. So uh, I kind of I kind of faded away, or at least I thought I did, or I don't know. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't as uh, my. I don't know. I, with Easy that New York for book, all of a sudden, like uh, people asked me to, you know, write for certain publications and i don't know i was getting all these crazy offers to do being flown to la to host podcasts and whatever it was all fleeting it ended it it crashed and burned it ended (laughs) in tears uh it ended in um tears and recrimination it it ended at del taco actually um anyway sorry i'm kind of Taco
1: right now uh so anyway
0: I'm sorry, yeah. What ahead. what
1: what kind of offers were you getting? Were people saying, let's turn this into a podcast? Let's turn this into a movie.
0: Let's figure well, right, out how to make a documentary. Here, well, yeah, well, initially someone approached me with um, asking to do a fictionalized version of the New York Article book, which, as you would imagine, that project, I, I was like, you do whatever you want. <laughs> like, Give me money. You can do whatever you want, but I don't see this going anywhere. Um, but then there was a film that came out in... Oh, say 2016 it was called green room and uh it was a movie about like it was a horror thriller movie about like a hardcore band on tour and they um whatever they play they mistakenly play some kind of nazi militia place in oregon and they get held hostage and it's it's pretty oh it's it's, called
1: green room that movie green room yeah yeah
0: well yeah exactly so to promote that uh so you know it was one of these things where i got a random email one day like hey um we have this i'm from a24 entertainment we have a show called green we have a film coming out called green room and we have this idea uh to do a series of podcasts called green room radio where we want someone to sit down with like you know the biggest names in hardcore punk and find out like their bad tour stories since the movie that's what the movie revolves around and uh I was like, um, oh, I was like, uh, okay, um, you pay me, and they went, we pay you and fly you and put you in hotel, and I went, okay, 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 <laughs> and uh, that's what happened. I got flown out there, and um, I I interviewed like Keith, uh, Keith Morris, Morris, uh, Todd Youth. Rest in peace, um, Mike Judge. I don't know like a whole bunch of people. Like it was all like a blur. It was a it was a block of recording it in one week, and then they just dispersed them, you know, over the months. Um, and yeah, you know, I met a uh, I met a uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, the the long hair, the guy who sings. Uh, uh,
1: the guy who sings in what band? Which band?
0: Not band. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the guy who uh, forget it. Two he's, words, like a, he's, like a, he's like a like. Woman. He's like a guy that, like, in the '90s, was like really big with like housewives. He had long hair. Michael Bolton. He, that's it. Yeah, I met Michael Bolton. Holy
1: crap! How did I get that from that stupid clue? Jesus, <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty. I good. don't
0: know how I was like. I sounded like such a moron. Like the guy who sings, you know, yeah, um, that guy. You know, with the voice, the execrable
1: um, Michael Bolton. That's who you. Were yeah,
0: he was. He was recording with like I don't know Grimes or something. Like we were in this. Studio that I was like, why am I? What? Why am I here? And then like they had the glove from the thriller, like it was ridiculous. Like they had a they had like the thriller glove on the display, and then I walked past a studio that said like Michael Bolton, and of course I'm even like it's got to be somebody else. And then we were kind of in the studio where we were about to record, and he just kind of poked, he knew the engineer, so he just kind of poked his head and he's like, hey guys, how's it going? And I said, eh, eh, and "Suddenly, <laughs> you
1: find you find out that he's the biggest uh, SSD control yeah, fan." Of yeah. the
0: Yeah, he's like, "Yo, let's talk about Neon Christ." <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um,
1: I bet but, Michael Bolton is a lot cooler than any of us would ever give him credit for. Yeah, he's, he's probably a like great a, guy. He, he seemed
0: like a nice guy. You know, guy. the
1: douchebags are the ones you never suspect are douchebags, and then the yeah. nice guys are the people you always think are douchebags. The nice people, I shouldn't say guys. Yeah. Uh, unless he I'm saying it punks. like gender-neutral guys, that version yeah, yeah, of yeah. guys. But yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, it's always a, you're always disappointed when you meet your idols. But then maybe if you meet people you can't stand, you're like, exactly. oh, My estimation <laughs> just went up several notches. Yeah. Never mind, I can't stand his music. But that's another story entirely. Yeah, uh, talking so, with Tony Redman, uh, author of a number of books dissecting the world of hardcore from 1980 to 1990, namely MyHC and uh the straight edge book and the book about detroit hardcore um can we talk about the straight edge book for a minute because straight edge confused me when i first learned about it i thought why i thought why don't these people want to get fucked up yeah why don't they want to get fucked up well i
0: think it's because you're you chris you're from an older generation um i think that's it is um i mean if i can kind of put my little personal story in it uh you know ever my where I'm coming from, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to turn off right now. Cause I revered it before, but I was uh, the youngest of five children and uh, I was very, uh, the, the person that was closest to me in age was six years older than me. So I was this really young kid kind of with a window into that seventies. What I guess what people would like pin to like the days to confuse movie or something like that kind of like whatever. Yeah. All those cliches, the stoner, stoner muscle car kind of thing and um it seemed yeah i guess since my my um siblings were older and i was younger it i it didn't make sense to me it didn't click with me it didn't seem like oh when i would get older that seems cool because as a kid it just seemed like a lot of fucking wasted time and and it's just like a lot of brain power wasted like like my sisters would have a party and then like if my parents went out of town then once the party was over how do we get rid of all the beer bottles and then oh like, da, 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 like I was like man this is and, and, and of course before that it's like who's gonna buy the beer for us and da, da, da. And as a 10 year old I'm like this just seems like a lot of work like um, so once my brother started bringing home hardcore records and you know the minor threat records that was all it took you know with someone to just say you don't have to do that and I was like okay, cool. Cause I kind of thought I had to <laughs> like, um, so yeah, to me, that's, that's what appealed to me. And it was, it was a different generation. I guess, you know, we were still in this hangover of like the drug culture of the sixties. And I guess, you know, at one point for the sixties and maybe early parts of the seventies, the idea of doing um, drugs was like, you're expanding your mind and, uh, you know, um, figuring things out beyond the scope of the average person. And then I guess maybe by the end of the seventies, the eighties, it was just like, we're getting baked. So.
1: Yeah. Well, that's I like, my, I like beer. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. I, I, I back used to then, like it too, yeah. when I was 18, 19 and, and getting into the NYHC scene, which we didn't even know was the NYHC scene at the time, I didn't do any drugs. I didn't smoke any weed Didn't do any other drugs at all. I drank beer. That was it. and, so I I would shrug my shoulders and go, what's so wrong with beer? What's the big deal? Mm. And by the way, I rarely, if ever, drank to the point of being drunk. That was Mike's job, mm. usually, to <laughs> drink a case of beer by yeah. himself, an unfri- unrefrigerated case of beer, a warm yeah. case of beer.
0: Uh, uh, did I ever ask you this, like the, the folklore, nihilistic folklore, is it true that he could like um, vomit directly into a glass?
1: yes. Yes, wow. he was a male. He was a male bulimic because when I met Mike, he was the fattest. Oh, why kid. Why did you have to ruin it? The- he was the <laughs> fattest kid in junior high. Yeah. He was fatter than me, which was a huge relief because I thought I was going to be the fattest kid <laughs> yeah. in junior I, high.
0: This guy, look at him. I'm and gonna I got there,
1: him. and I remember thinking, "Oh, there's somebody here fatter than me. Oh, thank Jesus!" That's great. And yeah. he was friendless because he was fat and he smelled funny, and no one wanted to hang out with him at the in the in the cafeteria at the lunch table. And no one wanted to play with him. And we became friends. And um, one summer, I mean, it was the summer between the end of junior high. Junior high was two years and the beginning of high school. And when he came back, he was thin, positively thin. And I said to him, hey, how did you lose all that weight? Because as a fat kid, I wanted to know. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, my parents put me on a diet and I changed my eating and a I- And it turns out, years later, and I never made the connection, when Mike would puke on demand, and he would do it in the parking lot of the McDonald's on Montauk Highway, also known as Merrick Road, in uh, West Babylon. We would go to the McDonald's, and he would eat a meal, big meal, come out, and he would say to me, watch this. And as families were walking in, he would throw up right in front of them, and... And Mike really would do anything for a cheap laugh. That was his way, and it would always make me laugh because he'd see the look on these people's faces and they'd be like, oh, oh my God. And he trained himself how to just like put his fingers in his throat and vomit, and he would do it on stage. He did it on many stages. He, yeah, he was able to, but I found out years later he was a male bulimic. Wow. And I don't think he had the corresponding anorexia, but mm-hmm. I know that he would binge and purge, and that's how he yeah. lost a lot of weight. So mm-hmm. kids, don't do that because yeah, it, it'll yeah, destroy yeah, yeah. it'll destroy your system. It'll destroy yeah. the uh, the enamel on your teeth. It's mm-hmm. not a good way to
0: to live. To yeah, be yeah, 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 eating on, and Craig. It's, Yeah, it's just you know.
1: Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah you know he uh, he was kind of an amazing guy in that. Yeah. Um. I, I always refer to him as the booster rocket that got me the hell out of Lindenhurst and got me off of Long Island right. and into what I ended up doing with my life. But he didn't have enough escape velocity for himself. He ended up, right. uh, you know, being pulled back by his demons. And yeah. speaking of uh, bands on tour, I mean, I wrote up the whole story of what happened when we went to play the show place in Dover, New Jersey. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, that story doesn't end well and ends with him drunk and us not even playing and. It was a real problem. He, Mike uh, went through a really bad change after his father died. His father was in a terrible car accident. Hmm. He lingered in the hospital. Nobody knew. The hospital didn't know he was bleeding internally the whole time. Good Lord. He died, and it ended up becoming this massive lawsuit. They ended up having to sue the hospital. But Mike was at that age where, you know, if you lose a parent, it's really transformative. He was like 16 right around that time and he was very close to his father and and he went to a very dark place hence all of those lyrics in all those nihilistic songs so yeah i almost feel like tony's
0: interviewing me isn't that strange they usually Sorry fine i usually i usually uh yeah i usually turn the tables but uh yeah, yeah. I, I get the feeling we're kind of starting things and stopping them so
1: well i want to go back to um the books and the fact that ever since please kill me came out the great book that jillian uh, mccain and legs mcneil yes. wrote some years yes. back about uh punk rock there's been this cottage industry everybody now has got a book out about punk rock about hardcore yeah. a lot of folks mm-hmm. in bands have been putting out books uh roger from agnostic front uh, put out a book of course harley put out his own book I uh, can you quickly drill down on any of this for me? I mean, are any of these good? Should I read the Keith Morris book, which I own a copy of? I I get so confused because I'm like, not, not all of these books can be good. Some of them no. you are
0: you are 100% correct, my friend. Um, and uh, I, you mentioned Roger's book, and I will say that's the only one you need to read.
1: All right, so because uh, I already read Hardcore life of my own by Harley Flanagan because I had to interview Harley when I was mm-hmm. at Sirius XM his book came mm-hmm. out and and mm-hmm. I had to remind him that I met him when he was drumming with the stimulators and <laughs> I don't think he remembered me at all but after I told him what band it was that I was in he kind of like perked up a little bit but okay. yeah so you uh you don't give a lot of uh, high uh, marks to the the writing and, and I just am talking about the writing I'm not talking about
0: yeah, the history
1: yeah. or anything else, just the yeah, writing.
0: I'm talking about the writing, and and yes, the Roger book is. I would say, and I'm you know, um, I like I like Roger. A lot He's a nice guy. I'm not trying to blow smoke up his keister or anything, but that is a great book. And and I think the thing was was you're what you're talking about. Like there was this period where just yeah everybody just started. Throwing their autobiography out or their the history of of uh, New Jersey hardcore January 1992 to February 1992 I don't know just all this very like just everybody's throwing this shit out and a like it makes me think like oh crap did I have anything to do with this you know and also like I want and secondly I want nothing to do with this and that's why I kind of like backed off a little but yeah all those books were coming out and I was you know whatever yeah, it, I was getting them getting them to review. And I'm reading through. I'm like, oh my god, this, these are. I know I don't like these, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to pinpoint which ones. That's just petty. But I will say that once I got to Rogers, I was like, ah, oh, like it was maybe that was it. it. Was after reading all these kind of like, you know, m- let me finish my thought here. Um, that Rogers is the best because uh, a very honest, like he doesn't, he, he doesn't hide the things that I'm sure people think he's going to hide or something. I don't know. It's, it's very raw. It's very honest and it is very well written. And, you know, and again, of course, when you compare like, um, the life of a Cuban, a Cuban immigrant that comes to me, you know, comes to like, uh, you know, Northern New Jersey and goes to Lower East Side and joins a hardcore band. Uh, that story, I guess it's just, you know, it's obviously going to be easier than this. Like I grew up in Southern California and I just happened Stance to be in a band that people care about now. And, Oh, look, I hit the 8,000, 80,000 word mark. See you later suckers. Like, you know, that shit <laughs> makes me sick.
1: Oh Jesus. Oh my God. Yeah. There's times I think about putting down the nihilistic story, but telling it as a coming of age story. That is exactly what I said earlier. This idea of me getting out and leaving in 1984 when I saw the handwriting on the wall right, and how it changed my life. But yet, I mean, this person, namely Mike, not someone you would necessarily admire. There was a (laughs) lot, there was a lot there that was really problematic about the guy, but you know, that's, people are flawed and people are human and they do awful things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they didn't have an impact on your life. They didn't exactly. change your life somehow. So, mm-hmm. and I, I don't really see that story out there. I see a lot of other stories about yeah. whether, you know, yeah. life in the van, of course, uh, you know, uh, Henry Rollins has told oh, that, that yeah. story. Well, that's good. And, yeah. You know, there's even a book out now. Uh, Nancy Burrill wrote a book about, uh, That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. About being a woman in that scene. Exactly. How yeah. hard that was. It's called, I'm not holding your coat. Yeah. Um, but are we doomed now forever as these guys, <laughs> as, as these people age to see more and more and worse and worse books?
0: I don't know. I think honestly, uh, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm not usually hope. I, I usually don't. Uh, I'm not a furnace of hope. <laughs> so, um, but I hope that that kind of little spurt, you know, that happened a couple of years ago was because I don't think any, quite frankly, other, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to like show favorites. Like, I think Rogers' book did actually do do well, from what I understand. But, like, I, maybe those ones just didn't do well. And the people at the publishers are like, well, that was, you I'm
1: on Amazon looking at your books. Yeah. And I know I should not be because Amazon blows, let's face it. But I did that for a reason. I wanted to see what its algorithm was suggesting. Right. I read yeah, yeah. after reading nyhc or straight edge or mm. the detroit hardcore book and they want me to read finding joseph an oral history of hr from bad brains by our oh, friend that, howie yeah. abrams now yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know if i'm gonna order that book and if i did i would again i wouldn't buy it from amazon fuck amazon. yeah as far as i'm concerned until they come up with a living wage and they unionize they can go fuck themselves even though i'm a customer in other ways uh please do mm. the right thing finally you richest person in the world yeah. um <laughs> I, I don't know that i'm going to read that book i mean it, it, it's weird the what the algorithm does is it starts telling you if you like tony ripman mm. you're going to love this yeah and i look at these books and i go yeah no i'm probably <laughs> i mean yeah. tony knows how to write right mm. tony can oh, write mm. and i don't know about the rest of these people i think this is uh a quick buck. You think it's a shell
0: game? You think if it's a, I
1: started a publishing
0: company, I would call
1: it Quick yeah. Buck Publishing. Nice. And yeah. I would, you know, approach some of these fart knockers and and have them put out a book. There's got to be some of these bands obviously had a sizable audience, and you could probably mm-hmm. sell them wallpaper if you uh, bound it properly.
0: You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Go ahead. Well, oh no, I was just gonna say like I do get <laughs> I do get solicited sometimes. Just. Random people will just be like, hey, I have an idea for a book, and you're the only guy I've, I don't know. Even though they don't know me, they're like, you're the only guy I know of, like, of, <laughs> that wrote a book. And, you know, I sometimes, if it's an interest, like, even if it's a subject I don't know about, or it falls out of my um, time frame of like when I was into this stuff, I'm still like, uh, that makes me even more interested. Because, I, like, I don't know. I guess this stuff might be worthy of a book. But, you know, I think what we have to – again, the hope here is that, that these books maybe um, help the, like, the shift to like – yeah, the shift to just some guy who um, who had, you know, was part of some weird scene, uh, hardcore scene in the early 80s in Oklahoma or something just to be like, well, I'm going to put down the history of what happened here in the 80s because nobody else is going to do it and – There's probably some interesting stuff in there because you know I'm not trying to. um, I mentioned that band Neon Christ, and actually I was talking to um, a member of that band on the phone a couple days ago because they were from Atlanta and they were, they were kind of like the, um, whatever the pioneers of the scene there. They were like uh, the AOD or whatever you want to call it, and uh, you know the stories he told was just they were amazing. Like RuPaul worked the door at hardcore shows. The, The Robinson brothers from the Black Crows were like part of the scene and mm-hmm. da, da, da. and it's just like well that's f- oh, i'm sorry hold
1: on that's good stuff i would read yeah that. that's
0: what i mean it's like that's interesting yeah. i want to know about that yeah i don't all the other and like you know all the other stuff i think obviously in the bigger scheme of things um i guess not everybody's heard the story but well, we've listen, all heard I, the story here's, you here's,
1: know you know i know this publisher uh who i i, I met when i was at sirius xm And she and I were going back and forth. I was sending her some of my writing. She was being very encouraging. And uh, she mentioned some of the proposals that she's been getting uh, about, you know, these kinds of music books. I was in a band books. Yeah. And she she actually sent me an excerpt from this, you know, or the the lead off few paragraphs. And it literally was about this guy like titty fucking some groupie. Mm. And that's how he decided to start his book. His book was going to be all about the groupies he fucked and the times he got so wasted he couldn't go on stage. And I'm like, Mm. and she, she said like, who really wants to read this? Who, who does he think wants to read this? And I, I, you know, the person will remain unnamed, Mm. but I am speaking with Tony Retman, who you can find (laughs) on Twitter at SP Lullaby and uh, on Instagram at sandpaper lullaby. And again, he's got a Substack at retman.substack.com. So uh, please go there and support Tony and the work that he's doing. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we declare a moratorium, just like I would love a moratorium on new podcasts because we've we've gone above the two million mark. Yeah, And there's just, are we going to get to the point where there's a podcast for every man, woman, and child or made by every man, woman, and child? I, I think we got a drawback. Just a little bit. Let's just draw uh, I, that.
0: I, I don't know. I think as as I think as we sit in our homes more and don't, I I, I, I and we don't interact. But I do think like as we sit in our homes more because of this uh, pandemic, like we we get more and more, um, whatever our interests get more and more niche, or like our the phases get shorter. So you just you know, and again, you're talking about Amazon. So like it's something like, you know, uh, somebody all of a sudden decides during this pandemic, like I have nothing to do, such as me, uh, like I'm going to get back into the Sopranos again. And then all of a sudden I'm watching that and, uh, you know, I'm ordering dumb t-shirts and fucking, you know, fucking books and all this stuff. And then a week later I'm like, what's all this crap on the porch? You know what I mean? So I think, uh, I'm sorry. What I mean is I think, no, no, there's going to be millions of podcasts because as people's interests get more and more, you know, whatever boxed in or niche, there there's there needs to be the podcast for it, you know what I mean? Like there's podcasts now for like old punk labels that even I'm like really, really like yeah, like, and makes you do the old double take. You go hmm. It who also wants makes to me, listen to that? Yeah, it also makes me think, again like now that I think I'm you know I'm I'm hot hot baloney or anything, but you know every once in a while when I do see like someone kind of like you know shake a. <laughs> shake a turd out of the grass and like slap a sticker on it, like classic unearthed hardcore, you know, like yeah. something like that. I'm just like, Oh, did I have something to do with that? <laughs> but it's also a matter of having been around long enough that a younger person will come up to kind of like me being like, the nihilistics are great to you. And you're like, whatever kid in the way that get like, out of here, not, kid, not, that, not that attached, yeah. but in the way of like, a kid will come up to me and talk about some band that only put out a demo in, like, 1988. And I'm like, yeah, I saw them a couple times. Pretty good. And they're like, man, they fucking rule. Like, when I hear them, I want to kill people. And I'm like, really? Huh. Well, maybe I got to go back and hear that, you know? And then I go back and I'm like, no, no. I don't know what you're listening to, but no. It sucked
1: then and it sucks now. Sorry.
0: Well, I wouldn't say it sucked, but, like, like, yeah, they're good. Like, they were a good band. But, like, for some kid to tell me, like, when I hear them, I want to just punch my mom in the face i'm like that's you I'm like i don't think that's the song <laughs> like
1: um yeah you want to punch your mom in the face if they uh if you were listening to michael bolton i'm sorry yeah
0: if you're listening to hey i did
1: a callback look at that yeah, very nice call back
0: to bolton Well, wow, yeah. wow, you need air horns dude <laughs> uh, uh
1: wow. yeah i have a party horn but it's too late for that we're almost out of road i got about a minute left i've been talking Dang. with Tony Rettman, who again uh, has his own Substack newsletter that you can uh, join, you can subscribe at Retman.substack.com. I did it. Why don't you? Exactly. Find out what's going on with Tony. He's been uh, writing quite a bit. Uh, I would say almost every day. You're pretty disciplined. I'm not that disciplined when it comes to the yeah. Program. Well,
0: I got nothing. I'm I'm kind of stuck at the I'm stuck here at the home here for for certain reasons. So I, I, gotta, I, I hear, ya. I hear yeah, you. Yeah, I got a lot of things. Uh, I, I gotta I gotta keep moving or. Uh, Something bad's gonna happen, man. <laughs> so yeah. that's it. I'm just staying writing, and I'm 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 putting project. I've got a lot of plates in the air right now. So,
1: well, listen. Yeah. If there's anything that I could help with, just reach out. Let me know because it's always a pleasure jawboning with you for just a little bit. I appreciate mm. your time and no, it's fun. the books that uh, Tony wrote are definitive and, at this yeah. point. I, all these other wankers who are in that space, fuck off. Yeah. And uh, yeah. If I may,
0: if I may put on my ugly checkered uh, sports suit. And say you can get all these books from me personally signed, <laughs> if you go to SandpaperLullaby.BigCartel.com. I I cut out the middle man. You don't have to go to the publisher or Amazon. I like just, it. I like so it. So you come to me. I sign it. Whatever else you want me to do to the book, I'll do it. And uh, I kiss it, put it in the envelope, send it to you. So uh, I love yeah. it.
1: Thank you, Tony, for mentioning that, and thank you for being a guest here on Aerial View. I do appreciate it, and uh, we are gonna duck out of here turn it back to the hound at thehoundnyc.com don't forget sunday's hound house at 3 p.m eastern and then crashing the party at 5 p.m eastern i'll be back again on tuesday when this show replays it's available as a podcast at amazon music apple podcast uh, google spotify stitcher youtube all that crap go to patreon and support this show patreon.com AerialView.